by the time Ricky Martin came out, I was like, who cares? I, I have a chicken sandwich I need to get back to. Hi, I'm Liz. I'm Mickey. They're queer. She's not. Welcome to What the Q. On this podcast, we're exploring queer culture together. Why? Because of you, Mickey. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> So, we're here. Yes, we're here. We're back. Episode four. This is episode four. We have episode five. We have the interview recorded. We are halfway done in that sense. And then I think we have two, maybe three interviews in the queue. Maybe. Well, maybe. We, we, we reached out to three people directly. One of them responded to me, and I know that they are, will be available, but we're going to have to book them. And the other two people just haven't gotten back to us at all, Okay, which is sad. I don't think... I don't know. So we're going to have to reach out. And I mean, hey, if you're listening, I mean, listen to all 4.5 episodes, you know, we're, we'll we'll talk, you know, all you got to do is identify as queer and want to be on the show. Yes. And then the next episode we release will be the halfway mark. It'll be the halfway mark. Yeah. So with this episode, again, recorded back in probably April. So about six months ago. We were not expecting it to take this long. I mean, we've talked about this. We were not expecting it to take this long to release it, but it is finally coming out. And I will say this, that since then, we have tightened up our own schedule and our responsibilities. We made them a little more black and white to help speed up the process. I explained to Liz that I need to see that homework assignment is due. And while I was explaining it, she constructed a spreadsheet and I was like, thank you. <laughs> Since then, we have made every deadline. We have. I just finished editing Alice, who we'll be talking about today. This episode, it was due. Um, oh no, it was due yesterday, yeah. and I no, gave you it made to you it. yesterday. You did it. Damn, I yeah. thought it was gonna be. Well, all right. So, I, honestly, though, if it's due on the Saturday, I really want to try to get it to you by the Friday, so that. So we're actually recording a day later than we thought, but. It's, That's yeah, fine. It's we give ourselves yeah. the weekend. We shouldn't be so hard on myself. <laughs> so we recorded Alice on April 6th. The day before my husband's birthday. The day before Tom's birthday. I'm so glad we got Tom in there because I was worried. That Don't this worry. would be the episode that we did not talk about your husband. <laughs> Um, I can never let an episode go by without talking. About I don't. Him. I don't know if he listens, but I could see him. Go, he doesn't. Us doing no. Okay. Well, then okay. Yeah. fuck him. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like he hears enough while he's trying to watch the Yankees. <laughs> he is watching the Yankees this very moment. Well, anyway, I'm. I am glad we got Tom in there because he is the invisible host slash guest so here we are almost halfway through september how's liz doing good yes definitely feeling september as in where did the year go <laughs> where did summer go all of those feelings the cool mornings warm days cool nights lots of positives like no more air conditioning while in the house windows open Everything's just so crisp and nice, but days are getting shorter. So, you know. Seasonal change. Yeah. yeah. P.S. It's raining right now in Portland and my air conditioner's on, so go figure. Newsflash. <laughs> it's raining in Portland. 
<laughs> breaking. So I do like going into the darker season with like a nice set schedule of my workouts, my commitments, my social schedule. You know, I like to make sure that I stay as active all year round as I do when it's later out. So as not to hibernate. Mm-hmm. Ask me how that's going in February. Oh, we'll talk about it. I kind of know what you feel like because you would think in the summer, like you're at the height of your activity and you're getting lots of light, especially living in a place like Portland. And it's really not till the end of the summer that I usually start fine tuning my routine and making updates to how I do things. And fall tends to be a really health focused time for me. It's like that back to school time. It's our own little like back to reality, back to focus. And we're going into winter and the darker days, like you said, and that's a very, you want to be prepared. Like Mm -hmm. I know when I'm doing yoga, I know for me what I'll be eating. So that when the dark days start, you have that commitment and you don't say, oh, it's dark and cold, so I'm not going to go. No, it's on the books. You're going. It's on the books. Yeah. Yeah. Your workouts happen outside of your home. Mine mostly mm-hmm. happen in and around my home. <laughs> but it's still, it's even actually more important for me to be in touch because if I'm that much closer to my bed and my iPad and Netflix, oh, yeah. there's a much better chance it's not going to happen. I've told you recently, I have my resistance bands and I'll do that while I'm waiting for water to boil. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> I'll do a mountain pose while I'm waiting for somebody to show up to pick me up for a meeting. And well, I I mean, anything else like fantastic happening except for gay Christmas. There's no holidays coming up. What's gay Christmas? Halloween. (laughs) Sorry, you didn't know that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that is why we have this podcast, too. Exactly. I'm not a Halloween person. I mean, I guess I enjoy Halloween for the sake of the people that love it because I have so many friends that love it, specifically my queer slash gay friends. So I really enjoy it for them and for their creativity. And I guess for just like the lay person who wants to break out and dress up like a magic eight ball or something like that. I enjoy it for them, but I never really was a fan of it. And when I started doing drag, Mm. I became a little bit less of a fan of it because I'm like, this is my job. So (laughs) I want the day off. I don't know why I never really took to it. But there are things that I do enjoy about Halloween as far as like the entertainment Halloween specials are great. Uh, movies that are pointed at that kind of like genre. Elvira. Mm-hmm. All of that stuff I really enjoy. But I guess, you know what? We've said it before. I'm not a dress up type of person. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm not doing drag right now. And so Halloween is a dress up type of holiday. But you know what? As we sit here and we're talking about it. When I was younger, I was a very big kid. And there were a couple of times where I was accused of trick-or-treating when I was an adult. And I wasn't. I was still a kid. And people Mm. wouldn't give me candy. I was also bigger as in like sometimes I was fatter. I mean, I went through all these different sizes growing up. So I I couldn't just wear a store-bought costume, I, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, again, not a RuPaul drag race queen. I don't make my own costume. So Halloween never really was necessarily my thing. And I wasn't that super creative. I think we could both say we were, we were in it for the candy, for sure. Well, I'm in it for the candy, for sure. <laughs> 
My dear friend Carla Rossi is a Halloween fan. She has that queer horror show in town. And I'm bringing that up because last night I went to Portland's art festival, TBA. It's a two-week festival that happens every year. I've contributed to myself. I had my own musical in the TBA at one point. I was part of a comedy troupe that was in it for a couple of years. And then I try to work with artists that are in TBA all the time so I can get free pass and see other people because I hate paying for things. But this year I wasn't involved with anybody. So I had to buy, well, I I bought a ticket and I got a free ticket. And so yesterday I kind of crammed in my TBA experience by going to see Anthony Hudson slash Colorossi do Looking for Tiger Lily. And I can't say enough wonderful things. It's the third iteration of this show that I've seen. And having worked with Anthony and being a friend with Anthony, who I don't get to see very often, I'm just very proud of them. And and I just remember them when they were a young punk drag queen and we were performing at the same time. But like, I don't even think Anthony is the age now that I was when I met them. <laughs> like, they're not even that old yet. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Does that make I, sense? Yeah. Like, I don't even think yes. they're as old as I was when I met them When you yet. met them. Mm-hmm. So they were just young, and he's really done wonderful things. I'm so proud of him. And, I mean, if Anthony, if you're listening, I mean, you're too famous to be listening to my podcast. Anthony also has their own podcast, Femsplaining. But if you're listening, we would love to have you on this show. I talked to him for a few seconds after the show, and I'm hoping that we get to work together again. But I saw Anthony's show and brought a bunch of friends, and we were all blown away because it's just all about his experience being part Native American and their drag character. It's just wonderful. Hopefully it goes global and everyone will get to enjoy it. I met Carla Rossi. I saw her perform the first time I visited you. They contributed to something I was doing at the event space I was working at, Pepper, the Pepper Pepper, yeah. and Carla Rossi. They performed a mix that I made for them about money. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> Giving money. <laughs> we were at that same time... Pepper and Carla Rossi had created a performance troupe called the Decepticons and another dancer, Jen Hackworth and myself, Jen performed movement and body. We actually called her the body in the, in the pieces that we were doing. And I contributed mixing sound and a little bit of drag. We did a few things with it and then it disappeared. We even went to San Francisco with that. I miss it. They've gone on to such bigger and better things and some things I've helped them with and some things I haven't. But I'm like, I want those moments back. There is evidence of this performance troupe online for our listeners. We created a song together called Sausage Party by the Decepticons. You can Google it and there is a music video for it. And hey, let us know what you think of it. And Carla, come on our show. And uh, uh, Carla and I talked last night, so I'm hoping I, that we're going to connect on something soon. I got that impression. Oh, so I would love to hear from you, Carla. If it's only just work, that's fine, too. I want to be by your loving, warm, glowing glow. So I guess it's time to introduce our guest for today, Alice Johnson who had reached out to us on Instagram when we did a call out to be on the show. I wasn't completely unaware of Alice since we recorded Alice. And since I've worked with her, 
I'm following her on social media and I am just overly impressed with what she's been contributing to Portland's art scene. If you just go to her Instagram proper, you'll find all the things that she's involved with. And there's numerous things, which we do speak about during this episode a little bit. And it's fascinating. I certainly learned a lot. And I think our listeners will really enjoy. Because I don't know Alice personally, she even says it at one point, you know, we've been interviewing so many people that I know so well, I already know everything that they're about to tell us about themselves for the most part. So I was actually really getting to hear so much. But anyway, we have a nice short, sweet, information-packed conversation coming up, and we'll just cut right to that now. Enjoy. I would like to welcome our guest, Alice Johnson. Alice, welcome to What the Q. Hi, thanks for having me. Yes, and thank you for joining us today. We know that you found us through our Instagram for now. Um, can you tell us about yourself? Yes. So my name is Alice. I've been in Portland for three years. I have been doing drag in Portland for about two, two and a half years. I'm also known as Phallus Johnson. Yeah, I do drag. I'm very active in the queer community out here. I'm also a part of a Vogue house, House of Ada. I am the princess of the House of Ada. And I can talk more about ballroom culture if you'd like. I'm also a sex worker. I'm a stripper, and I feel very proud of that identity. I'm originally from Colorado. I have a master's degree in social work, which is an interesting intersection with all of my other identities. I'm currently not practicing as a social worker, but I think one can argue that I am always in some way, shape, or form doing social work with a lot of the communities I interact with and with the art that I do. So yeah, that's, a, that's me in a little snapshot. There were a lot of things after reading your bio that I was just talking openly with Liz about, and she kept going, I don't know what that is. I don't know what that is. So I'd really like to go back to the ballroom thing in a minute. Um, but my first question for you is, what does the queer identity mean to you? For me, queer is, I've always really liked the term queer um, because I think it defines more than just my sexuality. I've always liked the word queer because it means everything. You know, it means the entire spectrum. It means the gray area. It means the technicolor area. I've never felt like you could put me in a box in any part of my personality. So queer to me encompasses encompasses everything and allows a lot of space and platform for different folks to take that word and give it their own meaning. Mm -hmm. Specifically in terms of my identity, queer means that I, as simply put, I date people that are attractive. I date people of all genders. Like pansexual? Pansexual is another word that I use. I use queer, pansexual, and bisexual all interchangeably, and some people don't do that. But I do that mostly because language can be complicated or misleading. I use it depending on the space that I'm in. Some people don't know what pansexuality is, but they know what bisexuality is, so I'll use that term. Mm -hmm. Some people don't know what pansexuality is, but they know what queerness is, so I'll use that term. But the term that feels best to me always is queer. Queer. Mm -hmm. So you told us that you were out for 11 years? Yeah, I came out in high school. And did you come out as queer? Because grandparents like me came out as other <laughs> things and then queerness presented itself to me. Right. So I'm always interested what the coming out was like. Um, when I came out, I came out as bisexual because that was the closest term I had to grab onto. Mm -hmm. It never felt like it really encompassed me, but that was all I had to cling on to. And even I was just having this conversation last night, even being a younger person. 
there still wasn't there was you know i had a lot of lesbian and gay representation like i had access to the l word and things like that i had a lot of representation of these uh sort of secular identities of being gay or being lesbian but there was nothing for me to understand what bisexuality really was Mm -hmm. or what that meant it was just this random experience i was being thrown into of like oh i've always known i'm attracted to men and then oops i fell in love with my with my girl best friend i don't know what that means for me I'm still attracted to men. What's going on? You know, mm. there was there was not a lot for me to see myself in, in in media or any resources available for me to learn about my sexuality. And I fell into queerness and learning about that identity in college and having a lot of access to queer resource centers. It's and things very like that. present in academia. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, for me, when I hear the word bisexual, it kind of grates on me personally mm-hmm. because it implies that there's two genders. Right. When I'm talking about myself, some people are just attracted to two distinct genders mm-hmm. does that disturb you at all do you feel that you're only attracted to two genders or i'm guessing you embrace embrace the spectrum so yeah i've gone through a lot with dissecting the word bisexuality my timeline of identity development i, I clung onto bisexual because that's all i had and then once i started learning about gender and all these things once i went to college and i had access to these resources uh, i started to question what does that mean does that really mean two genders mm-hmm. does that mean you're only attracted to two genders because i wasn't Mm-hmm. I felt icky to claim that identity. And so I was like, no, I'm not bisexual. No, I'm queer. I'm pansexual. All these other words. And then once I found a bisexual community and having these conversations, I started to re-embrace it. And I started to unlearn a lot of those things that we say about bisexuality. I think some people can put sort of a negative connotation to that word. One of my friends framed it in a really helpful way that bisexuality does mean to I'm attracted to people that are different than me and the same as me, you know? Yeah. And I kind of liked that. For me, honestly, because queerness and pansexuality, especially in, in spaces that are outside of academia, are not accessible terms for people to find resources. Bisexuality is the only word that we have to get anybody to take us seriously half right. the time. And, and they don't even take bisexuals very seriously to begin with. Well, that's a problem <laughs> lately, too. Like, bisexual celebrities find that they're criticized by the LGBT QAI community and they're like but we're real right I feel similarly of having a hard time with the word but also trying to support the identity <laughs> right right I think it's complicated to you know I think people are allowed to question the 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 word itself and its etymology and I think people should be empathetic of why people hold that identity for mm-hmm. me like I've had to claim that identity to get access to resources and get people to take me seriously and so I've grown this really like fond lovingness and proudness of this word that for a while I was that did feel really icky to, to, to hold especially I was dating a non-binary person at the time and so that felt really icky to both of us and then ever since then I've just sort of like let's just reframe what language is and let's just reframe like what identity really is and let's let's give the power back to the person right stating and claiming that identity I love your interpretation of it being some someone like me and someone different than me right <laughs> one thing that you mentioned when you were younger was that you were able to see both gay and lesbian quote-unquote normative culture through television or in society but not what we're using generally the term bisexual would you say that's still true i would say it's still true in the sense that i think that that identity is still misrepresented and still underrepresented but i do think there at least from what i've seen there's a myriad more 
openness to it. There's more availability of it. It's more accessible. There's more resources about it. The people are actually talking about it. Back in my day, which really wasn't that long ago, you know, people didn't have like, like now, like there's bi meetup groups. People recognize what the bisexual flag looks like now and things like that. And back when I was a kid, which really wasn't that long ago, that wasn't happening. I used to work with queer teenagers when I was a social worker. I worked with queer youth in foster care and just seeing and witnessing this type of media that they're absorbing the media they're searching for, the conversations they're having with people online and in their classrooms, like I would have loved to have had when I was a bisexual kid. So it's more accessible now than even five, 10 years ago. Totally. Yeah. Now, I'm sorry, I don't know what the bisexual flag looks like. Can you describe it? (laughs) It is. Yes, I I do get the colors mixed up of the order, but it is a purple, blue and pink. Okay. Okay. Nice. I forget. I forget which one goes on top. I'll be real. <laughs> I think a lot of bisexuals forget too. <laughs> We're just confused, right? That's the whole. That's the whole. That's the whole thing. <laughs> We're confused. We forget. <laughs> um, I just actually saw the trans flag because we just had a trans appreciation day. Mm-hmm. So learning. Tell us a little bit about the House of Ada and what you know, uh, because I think what Liz was unaware of was ballroom culture in general, which is kind of having a revival, I think, culturally. Like we're seeing that new show Pose, Pose mm-hmm. and a lot of people now are going back and watching Paris is Burning, mm-hmm. which is should be part of the canon. Right. The canon. <laughs> <laughs> right. I agree. So why don't you tell us a little about ballroom and about House of Ada? Okay. So ballroom cultures uh, emerged out of the East Coast in queer communities, specifically poor queer communities of color, and specifically for um, trans women. And it emerged as this art form where people developed the style of dance. Um and the style of walking and the style of elegance. And they created these things called balls where they would compete against each other. And people within that world would develop houses or communities. You know, it's it, it surface level. I think it looks like this really fun, really fabulous, really competitive, really vibrant community, which is all true, especially back in the day, especially back in the, you know, 70s, 80s during the AIDS epidemic. Um, these these houses, these communities, these balls really came for um, really became a place for people to get access to resources, access to communities. They were really life saving events. So that's a really short little snapshot of the history of it. And throughout time, it's sort of flooded out from the East Coast out into other parts of the country and other parts of the world. Um, and now we have several different houses that have international chapters all throughout, you know, Milan, Russia, um, all over the place. And so it's trickled, it's trickled out into the West Coast. Our ballroom scene here is what we would consider a kiki scene because none of the houses or the groups here have any chapters anywhere else. All of the houses here are based in Portland. Everybody lives in Portland. There's no chapters anywhere else. And, you know, there's some, there's some legendary houses in San Francisco and LA and things like that. But Portland is really growing their community. I believe House of Ada is five years old. I've only been a part of it for two or three years now. I'll say two, two, two or three. Time escapes me sometimes. But it's really a community all about unapologetic authenticity of the self and unapologetic expression of gender and sexuality and individuality and an unapologetic expression of family and pride. So I've been a part of House of Ada, and what that means is I train 
regularly with um, the members of the house. We compete together in balls. Every now and again, we'll perform. People will ask us to perform, and so we'll create choreography. Sometimes people hire us at events to just start a little cipher, start a little circle in the middle and kind of show people what ballroom is all about. It's been really influential for me in terms of further finding myself as a queer person and as a queer femme because these styles of dance is really influential for trans feminine folks and finding like the divine femininity and expressing that and not being afraid of that for any queer person. And I think that's really beautiful. I was just going to say that sounds really beautiful. It's It's incredibly powerful. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. So there are other houses in Portland Mm -hmm. and you guys just kind of interlink and compete with each other. I mean, I see all this online. I know Pepper for a while for TBA. Right, would, for Critical. Help, yeah, Critical Mascara was mm-hmm. a big thing, and I help contribute every once in a while. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's taken Portland a while because of it being so white? That, that yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think that definitely has a factor into it. And I think, you know, when we do bring out-of-town judges to judge our balls, that is a very glaring difference between Portland scene than anybody else's scene. Um, is because we live in Portland, which is very, very white, mm-hmm. and you can't get away from that. The community is, I think, going through some growing pains or has been over the last year of how can we respect this culture and respect its history and respect its roots considering the reality of Portland mm-hmm. right now. How can we expect more from the white people that want to be a part of it? How do white people, uh, you know, I'm white, how do white people take up space in this community without taking up too much space, without being exploitative? Mm-hmm. Um, these are all conversations that we've been having. It, it is really fascinating. The word honoring comes to mind. We have to be sensitive to history right. and experience. Liz, I heard some things in there that you might have questions about. Not so much questions about what you just said, only because you just said it so eloquently. How you said it can just be left as is. I did maybe want to get more into some other parts of your life that you had included in your bio. With each podcast, I walk away with learning new words. I've already learned a few just in the couple of minutes we've been speaking. But a couple you mentioned are androgyny and gender fuckery. I will tell you that gender fuckery is completely new to me. Mickey quickly explained it to me before you arrived. It made complete sense. But I was just wondering if you wanted to expand on that part of your of yourself. Yeah. I think that word is something that is another like very personalized word. Like people kind of give it its own power. For me, it means like Expressing gender in a way that a, a catchphrase that I always say is gender isn't real and also gender is very real, meaning that, you know, gender is the social construct that we made up. Right. And so gender fuckery for me is sort of like playing with that and being like, fuck you. I can do whatever the fuck I want. I can have masculine and feminine traits. I can look these certain ways. I can do this. I can mix it all together. I can have none of it. I can be this genderless alien. And also validating that gender is very real. It has very real consequences um, in our society. We structure a lot of things around gender. So it can't just be as like laissez-faire as like, haha, fuck it. It doesn't matter. You know, we have to really recognize the privileges within it. For me, gender fuckery is really just critiquing gender's existence in our and gender saliency in our lives and making people I you know especially when I perform drag I want people to question like hmm why am I uncomfortable with this why am I not uncomfortable with this what is unfamiliar to me what's going on here why is this you know conventionally attractive cis looking woman you know showing off her flat chest and pretending that it's pecs. What's happening here? And why am I attracted to it? Why am I not attracted to it? Why am I repelled from it? Why am I uncomfortable? Yeah, that's very fascinating. And I listened to you describe that. And I think about, you know, again, looking back 
5, 10, 15, 20 years ago, and then looking in the forward 5, 10, 15 years ahead and just wondering how much further along this conversation will be, you know, um, amongst the population and the culture. I will admit that when I saw like your Instagram and when I read your bio, the first thing I said to Mickey was this conversation is going to take me so far out of my comfort zone. And the truth is, now that we're speaking, I just feel like I'm talking to a friend. So it's just like another example of how much closer everyone is to each other than they might even realize. It's interesting to hear you talk about that because my instinct was, but I have so much in common with Alice. I just recently came out as non-binary, although I've been playing with gender for years. I felt being visible for the younger people. I do. I've, I have volunteered with the homeless, and that's a very queer-saturated community. And realizing if I'm not making myself seen as an adult, you know, I'm taking away from them. And when I heard Liz say that it was going out of her comfort zone, I wasn't surprised. But I knew that once she met you, or I mean, she's also met Pepper. I'm like, we're all the same people, and you love all these people, and I just know that you're going to love Alice. So. It's great to hear you have said it the way that I felt it it was going to be. Yeah, yeah. When you are representing yourself with gender fuckery and playing with drag and all that, do you feel that that you have something to offer your non-queer audience? Are you trying to give something to them as well? And uh, how do you feel that you do that? Yeah, there's a few gigs in town that I perform for predominantly straight communities and I do drag for them and I do the queerest drag for them. And sometimes I tour with a with a family called the Farce Family and we get booked at festivals and things like that in these really, really heterosexual environments. And we just unapologetically show up as ourselves and make them question things. I want to give people a platform to start questioning it. And I also want to give people a platform to start normalizing it. Mm, like, yes. mm, this, like I really liked this performance, even though it was something I never like, if you, if you wrote it down, like this is what this performance is going to be like, I wouldn't have liked it. But when I saw it, I really liked it. And I related to it. I consider the art that I do is storytelling. I'm trying to connect with my audience and hopefully they can take something away from that. So yeah, I try and give a platform for normalizing the, these identities um, and normalizing these experiences. And also what my goal is, is to connect with my audience and also to inspire people to live their most authentic lives. Because that's all queer people mm. are doing. I hope that people are kind of walking away with feeling a little bit more comfortable with whatever it is about themselves that maybe is holding them back. Yeah. or keeping them quiet or whatever. It doesn't have to be a, a queer person at all. But When I was doing drag, I used to say, if I can affect some man who's married to a woman with three kids mm -hmm. and hates his job, if I can encourage him to quit his job and do what he wants to do, I've accomplished something. Mm -hmm. They don't have to put on a dress and start, you know, dancing to crappy composed pop music like I do. But, <laughs> but I feel the same. And I, I really love the way you said that. The only real question I have about sex work, is your clientele queer mostly? Or is it just open to the whole community? Um, I, and I guess maybe define what it is, because I have friends that work in sex work that just do online stuff right. and other people that do more one on one. Or performative? Yeah, sex work is definitely a spectrum. Um, right now, the only sex work I'm engaging in is I'm a stripper. Those audiences are mostly heterosexual men. 
I do get some, you know, there are some queer women that come in or queer folks that come in, but the bulk of my income comes from heterosexual men. And God bless them. God bless them. <laughs> God bless them. And it's interesting because a lot of them, because I, you know, I dance with my short hair and I think, you know, some people instantly recognize me as queer because I have a short, sh- short hair and other people don't because I'm femme. But every now and again, a, a client, a customer will ask like, you know, are you into girls? Or they'll just ask like, do you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend? You know, it's like this interesting thing that like tends to come up a lot when I'm working with people. And most of the time men just think it's hot. Men are always going to sexualize, you know, female sexuality. So um, I just use that to my profit. <laughs> yeah. But it's, I guess it's helpful being bisexual in terms of the fact that I am actually attracted to men. I'm not like fully playing a game here. No. You yeah. Know? Um, but they're, you but know, not necessarily those men. <laughs> yeah. Not necessarily those men. Yeah. I'm thankful that I work at a club that allows me to be, um, performative and a little bit more expressive with my gender. I still have to, you know, obviously be very conventionally feminine, but every now and again, like I do this one act at the club where I like, I do like a lot of gender bending. Like I start off from the back and you can see like a silhouette of like my hair and like all this beautiful stuff. And I turn around and have a mustache on, you know, and I like hand out little mustaches to all the audience members and like do all this kind of silly stuff. I do like a Voldemort set there, which is really funny and stupid. I would love for there to be more opportunities for me to do sex work with the queer community just for my own comfort level and visibility and not feeling like I have to put on this mask, mm-hmm. you know, but right now that's where the money's at. I'd say follow the money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then 10 or 15 years from now, your dreams will come true. I'm sure. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you for sharing that about yourself too. Cause I think it's important for people to hear that. And that is valid work and it can be lucrative. I hope for you. Yeah. It, you said that's your primary source of income. Mm-hmm. Good for you. Yeah. I, I would say it's maybe like, 70, 70% comes from sex work and 30% comes from drag. Well, I'd love to see the drag income come up more. That would be cool. <laughs> I remember when I, you know, I've been in Portland for 19 years now. I started really doing drag. Well, I started touring with drag in 2008 and I would go over to Europe and I would not do a show without getting paid. I do a show with two people in the audience and still make 150 euro mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. they paid artists. And I right. was like, this is unacceptable. <laughs> I also found it unacceptable that bus drivers wouldn't make change in Portland too <laughs> because they do that <laughs> elsewhere. <laughs> but I was like, this is kind of crazy. Like I should only be expected to make money. And we're just mm-hmm. still, we're still getting there. People are still working for tips. Right. You know, and places aren't saying, you know, you're a valid artist. Right. Um, but yeah, I hope that number starts to shift. Yeah, I hope so too. Um, when you mention drag, what is your drag character? My drag character is, it's a lot. Because I consider drag as a form of storytelling above anything else, um, I sort of have different characters every single time. I would say if you had to mush all of them together, Phallus Johnson is loud, energetic, is silly, very high energy. You know, I present as masculine sometimes. I present as feminine sometimes. I present as neither and both and just sort of, you know, sometimes I'm just like a sexy genderless alien. And then other times I'm like this hyper masculine type of, you know, character. Other times I'm a hyper feminine character. Other times I kind of gender bend between all of it. It's it's all about me taking the liberty to whatever story I'm trying to tell. Um, what character is going to express that? Is it is my gender important to this story? Maybe my gender is, or maybe my story is about 
falling in love. And it doesn't actually have anything to do with the gender I'm expressing. I think drag is a, it's an art form that gender, we can't ignore that gender is a really important part of that art form. And I think we can expand it to be so much more. Well said. Yeah, it's very interesting. Thank you. I just want to thank you so much for touching base with us. Next time I visit Mickey in Portland, I would love if we could go see one of her shows. Yay! For sure. <laughs> I've worked with you once, so I've only seen you live once because I'm a stay-at-home type of person. <laughs> but I definitely follow what you're doing on the internet. That's why I was so excited when you were interested mm -hmm. in contributing. Because right now, every, everyone that we have coming on, are all great queer people, but they're all really close friends of mine. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I'm like, we need to You're branch like, out a little bit. I already know these things about you. <laughs> Do you have any questions for us, what we're doing here? Maybe you want to know a little more about us? Yeah, I'm curious of what your target audience is. We really want to reach people on both sides of the conversation. Liz and I have known each other since college 1994 four she met me as a gay man okay and until probably two years ago she just followed that identity even though she probably heard me use the word queer mm -hmm. when i started to have the conversation about what queer meant to me and why i identified it and how much i've learned she said this should be a podcast <laughs> mm -hmm. at some point. <laughs> totally. And I said that's a good idea there are lots of friends having this conversation now that knew their friends as gay or lesbian or just following right. that binary. Queer is very relevant. Maybe because it is just the two of us as friends speaking openly with queer identified people now for a season, we can reach people that don't know what that is. And maybe also on the queer side of things, hear what people actually don't understand. And that maybe people aren't just all assholes. They're just uninformed mm -hmm. so i guess we're trying to reach everybody okay everybody and also that people who identify as queer aren't that unapproachable as maybe our minds think they are like this conversation has just been so mind-opening to me you know i'm straight i'm married i don't interact with the queer community in my job or in my social life but it's conversations like these that teach and bring me closer and having the opportunity to have these conversations with the queer community because one, I'm not exposed to it in my day-to-day -day life. And two, just to, I always say it, but like, we're just people, we're all people, you know, that right. sort of, that sort of feeling. Right. Yeah. I think it's important. I think this specific platform is really important because I think people who are not queer feels like this, this community is so unattainable. They don't want to ask mm -hmm. the wrong questions. They don't want to offend anybody, especially with how quickly language is advancing. Like even for me as a queer, highly educated person that is like very tapped in the community, some people will say things. I'm like, what does that mean? I, I know I'll find out like, Oh, I'm using outdated language. I had no idea. You know, I think it's really important that we're having these like really open, safe discussions where you're allowed to ask questions. Um, I think that's how people learn. Uh -huh. Yeah, so selfishly, I guess it's for me to be less intimidated trying to find the information and also then share that information with people who would have the same questions as I would. Totally. I mean, I'm extremely open-minded. That's not the issue. It's not getting me to accept, you know, but it's just like you said, the language and the community and everything else like that. Something that you were touching on was this lexicon that's being presented to us mm -hmm. is some of it isn't like I went to an LGBTQAI 
sensitivity training for youth. Mm-hmm. And they handed us a list of definitions, all these words that I was a scoliosexual. Have you heard this? Vaguely, yeah. yeah but you probably couldn't give a definition. Nope. To, no, Mm-mm. but like there's all these words and maybe the heteronormative community takes this as like so overwhelming, but it's like we're all learning these words. It's part right. of the change. Mm-hmm. Right. And every there needs to be more language. And then maybe one day we're all just people and individuals. Right. But this language has to be built. Right. And for Liz to see like somebody like us doesn't understand it all that's a little bit comforting like we're all learning like i don't know everything about all trans people or non-binary people i mean just like you don't know everything about your neighbor although you might (laughs) knowing liz (laughs) (laughs) so we're doing this podcast because i'm nosy Um, any other questions? Where do you hope this podcast goes? Do you hope to have like different seasons that tackle different things? Do you, you know, do you hope it to be widespread, just kind of a small thing? You know, I guess I want to know like your vision for the future. We have a 10 episode commitment to each other. Okay. I personally do hope it goes somewhere. I mean, we're investing time in creating a logo. We've created music just for the podcast. I, we've been taking it really seriously, but we're not planning on it being a cash cow, at least not right away. Mm-hmm. I would like it to reach a large audience mm-hmm. because, like I said earlier, I really feel like this is happening all over the world. Mm-hmm. You know, friends love each other and friends are different. So I hope for big things, but I can be humble and take whatever comes our way. You know, wouldn't be my only project that kind of just stayed small (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. how about for you liz what are your hopes and dreams i would love it if we touched enough people to make a difference in their lives Mm -hmm. even if that was five people from my office or one person from my office and i'm not saying they're closed-minded or anything like this but i know that they have the same questions and if this podcast can become a resource for that information in a conversational way and it just enlighten someone to the next level of understanding then you know for me that's that's huge and also to answer the other part of your question this is what season one is is conversations Mm -hmm. i do think season two would be different we might bring in professionals that work with queer people and you know how can we support other queer people how can we support homeless youth maybe a little more along those lines okay right now is this kind of like an icebreaker okay um two but we'll see if we get to a season two yeah. okay <laughs> is this the first podcast either of you have ever produced this is definitely Liz's first. Okay. I do yeah. do a show with Svetlana Trantastic oh, right. called Bath Time with Auntie Svetty, which we might be asking Phallus <laughs> for season two, maybe. <laughs> um, and that's video. It could also be a podcast, too. Like, I could translate it so that I can upload it as a podcast. And you could do video podcast, too. But I have discovered through doing it that I hate editing video, especially three cameras and syncing audio. It's intense work. I could edit video if somebody else harvested quality video. But um, this is my second project that's similar. I'm very comfortable with audio. I am really putting a lot of time and we both are putting a lot of time and thought in it because we do want it to be professional in that it'll be um, accessible to people. 
Um, but yeah, this is my first podcast, but I have I have done broadcast a few other things. I, I have to commend you too for I think a lot of times when queer folks are asked to explain their identity, maybe to people in the room that don't always understand or empathize with it, or have never had the opportunity to empathize with it, it can feel really exploitative and laborious. But that doesn't feel like that right now, and that is really cool. And really Thank cool. you. Thank I'm you. glad to hear that. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, we are a little sensitive uh, about we want our guests to feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. But I think coming out now as non-binary, I've realized and, and have said it till this before, I'm non-binary. I'm not an educator. I can tell you about my experience yeah. and the things that I've seen. But when I tell you that this is who I am, you, there's a thing called the internet. Right. <laughs> right. There are also classes that you can take. So mm -hmm. um, I, I want to have many guests on because everyone has a different perspective. Right. And um, not everybody's going to sit down and give a dissertation on queer theory. Right. Right. <laughs> Well, thank you again for being on uh, What the Q. It was a pleasure. I've learned as much as Liz probably has. And our listeners, too. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. Thank you so much for having me. This was great. And I'm excited to see where this goes. Thank you so you. much. It was a real pleasure meeting you. And good luck with all of your projects and performances and, and everything. And not too much time passes before I have to come out and see Mickey. So... Yeah, okay, cool. It would be awesome to meet you in person. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you too. Isn't she great? She's amazing. And having just finished editing that conversation after months of not listening to it at all, as I was editing, I was like, it was one of those moments where we were like, this is really good stuff. Yeah, I remember you texted me saying that you were maybe halfway through and just that it was just a really like good full conversation and I, I wrote back I'm like I I just remember it feeling that way at the time I I feel kind of juiced that next time you come out we're gonna seek out where she's performing oh we will as I had mentioned in the episode I'm a stay-at-home fag yeah. so it takes a little <laughs> bit to get me out of the house I mean as I mentioned at the beginning of this episode like I just went out and got cultured with some TBA shows when I bring myself out it, it matters it makes a difference so I am excited for you to come out and for us to seek out Rallis's even if we're sitting in a strip club which is probably not as likely but if that's what it comes to I wouldn't hesitate I hope it's one with a buffet no <laughs> <laughs> you need to watch have you seen shrill on hulu no when you do we'll, we'll go back to this conversation when i do so, go to strip Liz, clubs i i don't eat you probably wouldn't eat at the one in shrill either but i might okay. <laughs> just to reference back to the episode when you approached me to say that alice had reached out I went to her Instagram and I read her bio that she sent and I said to you, this is out of my comfort zone. And I kind of felt that way until she walked into your recording studio and I was immediately put at ease. And it goes back to the purpose of our show, which is to highlight the wide range of people in our community and in our society that were more alike than we are not. I hear that. And then part of me also says, well, part of talking about queerness is also to talk about how different we all are too. In queerness, it's about this tremendous diversity. And I feel like you said that in that too. Like we're very diverse within our community. We're all, all the same, 
but we're all incredibly different. And I think what I'm trying to say is there's nothing to be afraid of. That's really it. Yeah, that's the because point. Because I'm like sitting here, I'm like, how are you the same as Alice? Because I'm having a hard time drawing parallels. <laughs> Although maybe if we're talking about college, Liz, do we want to get into this? No. no. Okay. <laughs> um, but the... <laughs> Wait, can I just say, like, again, sidebar, I recently was going through some old photos. Man, oh, man, did I have some good times. So, anyway. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, Lots to be thankful for. Lots to be thankful for. Yeah. So, basically, nothing to be afraid of. I'm trying to think of something that we have in common. You both identify with she, her pronouns. Mm-hmm. I'd say you're both on the femme side of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. And that's it. <laughs> I loved her outfit when she was when we were recording. Oh, she's the cutest thing in the world. I'll tell you, like, I can only imagine Alice having a million admirers. I'm one of them. She just exudes this, like, warm, loving energy. She's, I mean, extremely well-spoken, we all know. And there's a fearlessness to her. I mean, I'm sure the people that she strips for are all diehard fans. She's the type of person that I can see a lot of people having crushes on her. As soon as you mentioned the word fearless, there was a time when I was fearless. And like, I think I admire that about her. You know, she is younger than us. She is in that fearless stage and she's using it to her fullest advantage. And I sit here 25 years later thinking that's awesome. It is awesome. And we are acknowledging that we're older and we refer to ourselves as old, but sitting with Alice and some of the other younger people that we've spoken with, or I deal with young people all the time, I less and less feel that there is this big difference between us because of our age. And it's so weird when I was younger, if I was talking to an older person, I'd be like, but they're old. I don't know if that's changing from the young person's perspective, too, but that's a queer thing, too, though, age. What do you mean? How are we different just because we're older versions of ourselves, you know? We can still connect with adults that are younger, you know? I can't stay out past 10, though, so they're... I mean, well, I mean, we all change. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know why I slept through Pilates? Because I had two glasses of wine on Friday night. Like, that is the difference. Uh, that's great you know i mean you also you also acknowledge self-care when we were younger we probably still could have used that extra sleep but we needed to go i would have had two (sighs) bottles of wine and made it to pilates (laughs) (laughs) i mean i mean i used to get drunk and then go run five miles the next day like yeah life has changed i had a hip that worked you know (laughs) like (laughs) well i will tell you a big takeaway from me yeah Alice is part of the ballroom scene here in Portland, which she referred to as Kiki for the reasons that she described. And uh, I'm aware of it, obviously. I worked with someone who did a ballroom show uh, for a while, which is now in the hands of people in Alice's circles, which is great. But that, to you, was something where you were like, I've never heard of that before. Now... One of the things that connects us is a multitude of things that connect Liz and Mickey. But one of the things that connects us is that we were at one time diehard Madonna fans. And now we're just Madonna fans. And one of Madonna's biggest moments was voguing. And to me, there's like this situation where it's like, how could you not have heard of 
ballroom when that is where one of Madonna's biggest hits came out of. So it speaks to me of the problematic nature of some of the things that Madonna has done in her career. Now I'm going to back up a Hush second. your mouth. Sorry. Just kidding. Just kidding. No. What I'm the point I'm trying to get to is she has given permission to us young white kids that we can take and do with other people's culture whatever we want. Now I'm going to say this now too on her behalf because I think Madonna is fabulous just as much as I think she's problematic. I also think Madonna thinks she's fabulous just as much as she is problematic and, you know, she keeps the conversation going. Well, we would know how she felt about things, actually. Yeah, she will tell us. Don't even worry about it. We, we talked about the show Pose and yep. this last season. Now, I'm going to completely admit that I am not caught up on Pose. I am the type of person that watches five seasons in a fortnight, so... I need more episodes to come out so I can binge it. Yeah, I get that. But I will catch up on it because this is extremely important show. It's gotten rave reviews. I'm there for Pose. I've also watched in my younger years, before I even came to college, I watched Tongues Untied and Paris is Burning. And I knew for myself, being a young queer person, already being slightly engaged, that Vogan came out of this subculture. I was aware of it, but still, voguing belonged to Madonna. In my whiteness, that's what I saw. In Pose, I know this season passed, the second season, the release of Vogue comes into it because it's contemporary to when that came out. And I was interested to see what the producers, writers, actors, and creators of this show had to say about Madonna's interpretation of Vogue. And they were all extremely positive that she brought it to the main culture that she brought the conversation up and that she you know all the things that it did and that it, it maybe even have given some people work but still 20 some odd years later liz doesn't know what ballroom is right vogue madonna takes this dance from a subculture and turns it into a shep pettibone remix and then proceeds to rap all of these cisgendered white movie stars. Not one person that she mentions is black, <laughs> you know? So it does that whole conversation that we started with and the fact that you have never heard of ballroom spoke to the problematic nature of some of the appropriation that Madonna has done in her career. But there's a balance there, and I want to be fair to one of our icons. This ballroom scene also served trans, queer, people of color, and people with AIDS specifically. And we brought this up in another episode of our podcast. We were more enlightened when it came to the AIDS epidemic. And that is in part due to Madonna speaking out and saying there's nothing to be afraid of. We need to exercise more compassion than fear here. So she's not an evil force. But yes, you can see where she and this is why I want Carla on the show because she's so split. She's such a big Madonna fan, but she could tell you both sides of this, too. <laughs> I love hearing Carla talk about Madonna's like because I love her and I hate her a little bit that I love her. Like, <laughs> But Madonna is a, pro a, is a product of the times, a product right. of her demographic. We can forgive her as easily as we can point our finger at her. God bless her. Madonna, we're not crazy about your last album, but no. don't stop doing what you're doing. <laughs> also, I think too, like back in the 80s and 90s, we had more blind faith to her as an artist as well. 
And again, with age, maturity, you know, Uh we can see more sides to it. Um, But at the time, it was just, for me personally, she did no wrong. And now, obviously, I'm wiser and smarter about these things. So I'm glad that we're pointing them out. So I was hoping that when we got to our part of this episode, that we would have done some homework, like caught up on Pose. You would have watched Paris is Burning and Tongues Untied. Mickey. What? You didn't put it on the spreadsheet. Okay, well, we're going to put this on the spreadsheet now. Okay. We are going to do that homework. You will have seen Paris is Burning and Tongues Untied. I mean, at least one of these so that we can discuss this further maybe with another mini. So I thought I got to watch Pose. I'm just saying like it's more current. Well, you have to watch Pose, but you need to see the gritty past too. Because those other two documentaries are contemporary with Vogue coming out. If you need to start with Pose, honey, start with Pose. But these other two documentaries, Paris is Burning, Tongues Untied. We don't need to do a dissertation on them, but we need to have seen them. I've seen the other two documentaries. So that's going on the spreadsheet. Okay. One other thing I want to say is that I know it, I think twice, one of my other favorite artists that I'm really starting to reappreciate again now and in the past, this artist is also featured in Pose, Jodi Watley. I loved Jodi Watley when she first came out and I probably lost touch with her, but watching her now tour and and she's like so... Everything that she's doing is so, like, understated. But I follow Jodi Watley on Instagram. I don't follow Madonna or Beyonce on Instagram. I don't follow follow, Madonna or Beyonce. No, I don't usually follow these big stars. But I follow Jodi Watley because I just feel this uh, with her. And she's just... I think she stepped away from what she was doing to keep continuing to create this music that she wanted to create. She didn't go for what was going to sell the most records, per se, more than she was moving forward with this more soulful music. And now when she tours, she does reinterpretations of her old stuff. Plus she has some more current stuff and she covers on a album from 2006. She covers borderline by Madonna. Jody Watley. I just want to say her name out loud. She really had an influence me when I was younger and she didn't have the same huge widespread impact of Madonna, but I right. follow her today. And, and like Liz and I said, we don't follow Madonna. If we need to figure out what's going on with Madonna, we just Google, check in. you just fucking yeah. Google. Oh yeah. You yeah. can go to her page directly, just but go to her page as needed. But yeah. Jody, I adore seeing your new post. I adore seeing you tour. You're talking to her like she's listening. I'm talking to her directly. Okay, go. Hi. Thank you for listening to our podcast. And also Jody Watley liked one of my posts recently. Not I only liked, she commented. She liked and commented one of my posts. I posted something and I tagged her and she read it and she liked it. That is not the reason why I adore her, but I love her even more now. So Jody Watley, yeah. you keep going, girl. And I hope that your music is constantly in post. (laughs) I guess those my biggest takeaway were with the ballroom thing. Everything else you said, Alice had spoken so eloquently about herself and what she represents and her queer identity. I I can't Mm -hmm. think of anything else that's... I mean, I did mention at one point that bisexuality kind of gritted on me because it implied two genders. But, I mean, she was ready for that question. (laughs) answered it put a period at the end of the sentence and we moved on that was my hard-hitting question for the interview and i got knocked down (laughs) 
But I, I agree with her too, because unless you're saying that you're a clan member, most identities are completely harmless and they're up to the individual. <laughs> and so I want to respect people's identities, even though maybe the etymology conflicts with my own personal view of the world. And yeah, she, she named it. Do you think Sam Smith listens? Sam Smith probably doesn't listen. Sam Smith recently came out as non-binary. Liz saw it and immediately reached out to me. And, and I, I, I'm, I'm extremely impressed. And I just think it's making life easier for so many people when these celebrities do things like this, when they acknowledge this. I just thought maybe they were you know, encouraged by you, by listening to our podcast. Well, no. Looking at our tens of listeners, I don't think yeah. Sam Smith is one. No. Right. So coincidence. Coincidence, then. You mentioned coming out as non-binary using they, them. A week or two later, so does Sam Smith. I will say this. Now I can go down in history as saying I've done it before Sam Smith. <laughs> well, well, congratulations to Sam Smith, and thank you from the no, bottom of my heart. Amazing. Thank you for not Ricky Martin, Ricky Martining this whole situation. Because when by the time Ricky Martin came That's out, right. I was like, "Who cares?" <laughs> and to our younger listeners, Ricky Martin is. <laughs> <laughs> I remember Ricky Martin from Menudo, and I had the forty fives, and people like people are not going to know what that. They don't know they what it is. Not. I don't care. Menudo was part of my growing up, uh, and I had oh Menudo gosh. 45s, and oh I wanted God. Ricky Martin to be gay. And when he grew up to not be gay in the 90s, I was extremely disappointed. So by the time he came out in 2000-whatever, nobody cares. I, I have a chicken <laughs> sandwich I need to get back to. I don't care about Ricky Martin being gay now. You should have been gay in the 90s, Ricky. Sorry. I'm sorry if I'm being crass. Sam Smith, God love you. I will they them you to the end of time. Okay, what is Alice's handle on the interwebs? Alice can be found on Instagram at Alice Fallus, A-L-I-C-E-P-H-A-L-L-U-S. And from there, she has links to the House of Ada, the Farce family, and her acro duo, Lady Phallus. But if you go to Alice's Instagram at, at Alice Phallus, all of those are right there in her bio. We follow all of them. So then since we follow them, you can go right ahead and follow us at WTQ Podcast on Instagram. Our website is WTQPodcast.com. If you are enjoying yourself right now, then you should go ahead and tell a friend or two or 15 to go out and listen to What the Q. You should comment, you should subscribe, and you should give us all the stars that you think we are worthy of. The answer to that question is five. five. Um, on iTunes, five stars. Did, did you get that? How many stars, Liz? Five. Five stars. That's what we deserve. That's what you should be giving us. But you should do all those things for us because we want to do this all the time. Lady Phallus, by the way, the images, I adore Lady Phallus. So I'm hoping that when you come out to visit, that's what we're going to see. Oh, yeah. Um, that yeah, duo love, yeah. is blowing my mind. Just to look at the pictures of them, they're so beautiful. So the... Acro is a duo, and Alice does it with Lady Coqueen on Instagram. Once you go to Alice, you'll find all of this. 
I was going through their site and they do a lot of powerlifting workouts. And so I was like, yes, I am all over this. Oh, I see. Whoa. (laughs) Their workout regimen and my workout regimen are very similar. So I'm like, hey, hey, deadlifting, um, benching. I don't want to do that stuff. That's not for me. I don't I don't have an iron side. I have a sissy side. I have an iron side, baby. Which doesn't imply that sissies can't lift weights. They look like they're a little bit of a sissy too. So lift those weights. Lift those weights, girl. You know how strong you are because you throw full kegs around like they're cotton balls. So yeah. there you go. It's all in my legs, though. That's where it should be. Lady Cole Queen. Hey, come on the freaking show. Like, I want to see you in person. I can't just look at pictures of this beautiful person. Let's talk about queer lifters. Yes. Oh, can we? Yes. I mean, I I am watching. I'm watching Lady walk up and down this, like, little red runway map. And I'm just letting the loop go because I don't want to stop watching. And then, with all this weight in their hands, is just smiling. Hi. Because people who lift like that are very, very happy. Very happy. Because we're strong. Lots of endorphins. Yes, queen. But the two of them together, can't get enough. No, that's what I've seen is their duo work. So that's it for this episode of What the Q. I think we've chatted enough about what we think about everything. But thanks for listening. And just a quick reminder again that you need to tell your friends about us so that we don't disappear into the ether. And Carla Rossi, I'm coming for you. Bye, honey. Bye, honey. <laughs>